awesome God that is worthy of the praise. He is worthy of the honor. Listen, before you take your seats, do me a favor real quick. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to Psalms 23, familiar particular piece of passage. Familiar piece of scripture on today. Again, to all of our fathers, we are excited and grateful for you being here with us on today. Amen. Psalms 23. When you got to say, I got it. Repeat after me. Say, Father God, I'm here today seeking a word from you. So open my ears that I can hear. Touch my heart so that I will feel. And renewing me a right mind so that I will do. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Psalms 23 reads like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. That is the word of God for the people of God. Listen, for today, if you, as you go to your seat, I want to kick off a brand new series originally entitled Abba, which is the, the Hebrew word for father. But today I want to just switch it up a little bit. And we're simply going to title this series as we move forward over the next three or four weeks, My Father Is. My Father Is. I thought it was a great way to to celebrate Father's Day as we declare what our father is. I remember as a kid growing up, there was this one kid, I ain't going to name his name, but he used to get on my nerves all the time. I can't name his name because he might be watching us online and he'd take offense. Uh, but he'll know who I'm talking about. Uh, he, he used to always talk about how proud he was of his daddy. That's all he used to do. Uh, he's like, my dad drives for FFE, which if you don't know what FFE is, Fo Frozen Food Express, it's a truck company. And back then, they were probably like one of the largest fleets that they could possibly have. Right, at, It had one of the largest fleets right in Pleasant Grove where I drove up. But every time, I don't know why my mama took us over his house, all he would talk about is my daddy is. My daddy is a driver for FFE. And so he was like so proud of his dad. And, and he would throw that in our face all the time. Every time we passed by one of those trucks, my daddy is a driver for FFE. That's all he would say. And one day, I just got tired of him talking about who his daddy was and what his daddy did. And I told him, so, because my daddy is 
an engineer at the Hyde Regency Hotel. And he didn't know what the Hyde was, but I had to remind him, you know that big ball downtown with the restaurant that go round and round that's on every postcard when the news come on, it pops up. I say, my daddy is the one that makes sure everybody sees that place. And so we got into a little battle about who daddy was the best daddy. Because I had to make sure your daddy might drive a truck, but my daddy is all over the world. People take pictures of what my daddy do because I was so proud of who my dad was. This boy wasn't going to tell me who his daddy was one more time. Everybody doesn't have that, that type of childhood where they can talk about how great their dad was. Some people had absentee dads. Some people had deadbeat dads. Some people dads died before they were born. Some people died, dads died after they were born and they never got to really know them. And so they struggle with being able to express the joy of what it means to have a father. Some people that when Father's Day comes around, it's not a joyous occasion. Uh, some people don't come to church because I don't want to go to church on Father's Day and everybody coming with their daddy and my daddy is not there. I, I understand for some people, just like Mother's Day isn't a happy occasion for some people, for some people these days bring back bad memories. But today I want to try to change that, and the reason why I want to try to change that is because when we think of God, we oftentimes, Christ has taught us that we make reference to God as our Father. And the thing is that I believe that many of us struggle to identify who God is and how powerful God is and the influence that God should have in our life as a father simply because the fathers that we have had in our lives may not have been the greatest fathers we could possibly ever have. And so if I'm calling God my father, but the only father that I knew beat me when I was growing up, then I don't, I don't know, I can't submit to, to God in that way. If I call God my father, but my father was never there for me, then oftentimes when things go wrong in my life, I might feel that God is not there for me. And so today what I want to do is I want to help us understand, I want to help us identify and appreciate the true characteristics of what does it mean to be a father. I want to make sure that today, this day is not a stain on anybody's brain. I want to make sure that today when we leave this place, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, then we have a true understanding of what we are saying and who we are connected and submitting ourselves to. And so when we look in Psalms 23, David does something very unique. He does not characterize God as his Father. He does not say that God is his father. Instead, he says that he is his shepherd. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I struggle with the text, and I wonder why, God, would you have me use this text to define the, who God is as a father? David didn't say that you are his father. There's many other scriptures in the Bible that relates to calling you a father, but, but why do you want me to use this? And, and what I seen when I looked into it, when I examined the life of David, David's father was not the best example of a father. David was the son of Jesse. If you don't know the true story of David, when David was anointed to be king, uh, they came to anoint him, and Jesse hid David, left David out in the field. In other words, he brought all his brothers forward and said, hey, choose one of these. Either one of these will be fine. And when the oil did not pour out on either one of their heads, and they had to say, listen, do you not have another son? Then he had to come and say, well, yeah, I got 
David, he out in the field. He ain't nothing but a little shepherd boy. So I can see why David would not say that, God, you are my father. I mean, this is the same father that while his brothers were fighting on the battlefield, that when he went down to the battlefield to help his brothers, his brothers made fun of him, talking about what you doing here. You ain't doing nothing but trying to be messy. The only reason his daddy sent them down there was to check on the other boys. He never asked David how you were feeling, how are the, the sheep doing, what's going on with your life. And so David may not have had the perfect example of what it meant to be a father, but David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. David himself was a shepherd. And when you look at David's life as a shepherd, David understood the responsibilities of what it means to lay down your life for your sheep. David knew what it means to make sure that you have to feed and provide and be there for the sheep. David understood what it meant to be a shepherd. And since David was such a good shepherd, David says, God, when I think about you, I think of you as my Shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. And what David does in Psalms 23, he, he lays out a path to define the greatness of who God is. And I believe we can take those same characteristics that David seen as a shepherd and then we can tie them, twist them, put them in a package and help us understand that what David saw in God as a shepherd is what we should see in God as a father. Those are the same characteristics. And so when we think about these characteristics, there's four characteristics that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. And I want you to write them down, take a picture of the screen, whatever it is that you have to do. And these characteristics are simply this. Characteristic number one, when I think of God as my father, he provides. God is a provider. The second principle is not only is my God a provider, he is a protector. Not only will he protect me, but he has the ability to promote me. And not only will he promote me, but God, he is a permanent fixture in my life. God does not move in and out. A father is a permanent fixture in our life. And there's so much to unpack in this whole text. But today I just want to play with the first two verses. I just want to highlight the first two verses as we go into the message. It's simply titled this, My Father is a Provider. My Father is a Provider. What does it mean to be a provider? When I was young, I did not understand what it really means to be a provider. And I, I told my wife this the other day. I said, I finally under, under, I finally understand why grandparents love kids so much. Because I was like, my, my mama and daddy didn't love me as much as they love their grandkids. And she was like, well, what is it? What do you mean? that? Why do they love them so much? Because they get to give them back? I was like, no, it ain't to give them back. Because they'll keep them. It ain't even about to give them back. What it is is that when they see their they grandkids, they know now that their kids are going through everything that they went through. And, and so it's not as much as they love the grandkids. They love seeing the kids go through everything that they went through. And, and so when you throw a, when your kids throw a fit about not being able to get what, what they want to store, that's why they give it to them because they know, listen, you did the same thing. I'm laughing at you. Look at what you're going through. When they hear you talk about having to buy shoes and clothes for your kids, they grow out of them so fast, they like, so what? It, it happened to me too. And, and so they're enjoying the fact that they get to watch you endure what they did. I said, I know what it is. That's the plot. That's why they always coming with oatmeal pies. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Daddy, pumping them up full of sugar and sending them on home with me. You want to see me go through the same things that you went through. But 
One of the greatest lessons I learned is what it means to be a provider. Didn't understand that growing up because when everybody else was getting the Jordans, I might have had to wait a month to get them. Uh, I, I wanted them right then. I wanted to be one of the people at the door waiting in line. But my dad was like, listen, son, you can get one pair of Jordans or you can get a pair of L.A. Girls and Pump Ups and Reeboks. We can, we can put all of them together and, and you can wear a different pair of shoes every day. And, and I didn't understand what it means, but he knew that I would tear up one pair of shoes before I would tear up three pair of shoes. And so as a provider, he had to make some game-changing decisions that would alter the path of my life. And, and now when I think about my son and, and the things that he wants, and sometimes I'm like, just because you want it don't mean I need to give it to you, but I will for sure provide for you. And, and so today I want to understand, because if you didn't have a father that provided for you, maybe you don't understand what it means for God to want to provide to you, for, for you. And so I want to make sure that you understand what does it mean when, I, when God says, listen, I'm your provider, I am your father. Because oftentimes we go through life, we need things, things happen, and as a result of it, we try to reach out for God to give it to us, but when God doesn't give it to us as quickly as we want him to, or because we think that he does not hear us, then what happens is we try to provide for ourselves. We try to provide for ourselves, and the reality is in us trying to provide for ourselves, we oftentimes make a bigger mess of the situation than it already was. And it puts us in a position where we have to submit and surrender to the will of God anyway. So the thing is, if we're already going to have to submit to the will of God, why don't we know it from the get-go so that while we're understanding it from the beginning, we don't have to go through all the heartache and pains getting to the point where God wanted us to get to in the first place. And so when I think about David and what David writes in Psalms 23, looking at verses 1 and 2, first let's deal with verse 1. I help, I come to understand that when God says he is our provider, the first thing that we have to understand is God is showing us that he has ownership of me. When God says he is our provider, he's showing us that he has ownership of me. The very first thing that David leads off in Psalms 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's what he says. He makes a decree. He doesn't ask. He says, Lord, are you my shepherd? No, 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 no. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd, brother Ford, first day here, he going to learn today. Ford, I need you. Let me borrow you. Let me bother you real quick. Come on, Ford. Do me a favor. While you're coming, Ford, bring your son with you. While you're coming, Ford, bring your son with you. Now, Ford, he's new here, but we just using him for the day. We're blessing him. And Ford has brought his son with him. This is ownership. Ford, when I called him, he didn't bring me my son. He didn't go looking for Raymond's son. He brought his son with him. He shows that this is what belongs to me. This is connected to me. This, this is mine. Let them people see y'all. Y'all beautiful people. This, this is mine. This is a, look at it, look at it. She cheering y'all over there. This, this is mine. This is what, he's not gonna, I'm not gonna take hold to anybody else's child. Why? That's kidnapping. I'm not gonna bother nobody else's baby. I'm gonna hold, they press charges for that type of stuff. I'm going to take what belongs to me. He said, bring me for you come and bring your son with you. I want you to understand this is the relationship that God has with you. When you are declaring that you are his father, that God is your father, 
then you're saying that God is responsible. He is the owner. He is the creator of you. I want you to see this obvious size difference. I want you to understand this. And the reason why I want you to understand this is because of the fact if he is the father and he is the son, who has more power? If he is the father and he is the son, who has more knowledge and understanding? Simply because he has been in existence, what? Longer than he has. The only reason you're here is because he wants you. That is the only reason. But far too many times, we try to make the son come before the father. When the father came before the son. Y'all can take a seat. One of the craziest things that happens in my life all the time, I wanted kids so bad. I'll tell y'all this, and I ain't scared to tell you. My wife wasn't trying to give me no babies. She had, she had had young babies. She had a, her little brother that was irritating to her. She was like, let me tell you something. You don't want no kids. And I was like, no, I don't want kids because they're going to love me just for me. Now, I knew about the good stuff of kids, but I didn't know about the trash all over the floor. I didn't know about the, the, the being unappreciative. Just yesterday, uh, we had a meeting at the church, and I brought my son. Come on, my son. Come on. I brought my son. You come on up. I brought my son to church with me, and my son is a reflection of me. I have ownership in this stock. This when I walk, he walks. And like today, he wanted to come and wear that same Dallas Cowboy jersey, even though we Cowboy fans for life. It is what it is. But I was like, man, you got so many other clothes in your closet. People don't think I don't love you. I don't buy you nothing. Can you please change your clothes? And so we changed clothes. But yesterday when he came to church, what was your issue yesterday when you came to church? You didn't have no what? You didn't put no lotion on them knees. He, he had some shorts on, and he didn't put no lotion on the knees. He's sitting in the front seat with me on our way to the church, and I have to stop and pick up lotion. Why? Because this is my son. When we walk in this building, what he looks like has a direct effect on who I am. And so what we have to understand, when God says, I have ownership of you, then we have to realize that God is a provider. Guess what we did? We went in the store. He had a dollar. He didn't buy no lotion. He bought Starbucks with his dollar and then had to ask me for the eight cents worth of tax. But I had to end up buying the lotion so that he can take care of his needs. I made Now, Starbucks was his wants, but the needs was his needs. He, he needed to take care of the needs, and I had a responsibility as a father to provide for him. I had a responsibility to provide. Now, I didn't like spending that extra $3.59 dinner. I understand that, but it was still your need. We had lotion at home. But I did it because it was my job, grab your seat, to provide for him. God looks at us, and he knows without a shadow of a doubt that it's his job to provide for you, to provide for each one of us. The problem is that we are afraid that he won't provide. We are afraid that God won't provide. And so oftentimes what happens when we find ourselves in, into different situations and circumstances and things are just simply not going the way that we want them to go, we don't mind asking, but because of the fear that he won't provide for us, we oftentimes try to provide for ourselves. And the reality is when we try to provide for ourselves, 
what ends up happening, again, we make a bigger mess of the situation than we should. If you're going to call God your father, then you have to give God ownership of you. And when you have ownership of something, then you do what it is that you want to do with that which belongs to you. You, you have to understand that your relationship with God, I want to fix you, I want to help you right now. It's not a partnership. It's not a 50-50. God is in total control. If you're going to be in a relationship with God, you have to understand that he is the dominant, you are the submissive. And the reality is you don't get to tell God what it is that you want to do. Now, God knows the desires of your heart. And I know we heard uh, growing up in church that you got to just tell God whatever it is and he'll make it happen. Some of us have grown into church. You better speak that thing into existence. But the reality is if it was never part of God's plan, God doesn't have to give it. Now, my wife blew me away. If it was any other teacher, I would have stole it. I wouldn't give her credit. But she blew me away at Wednesday night Bible study. I'm going to hope I say this right, that, that sometimes God will give you what you want, even though it's not what you need. And see, sometimes we think just because we didn't told God something and begged for something so long that we finally get it, that it's what we're supposed to have. But it's not until that thing falls apart. It's not until things go away that you realize, God, why did you put me in this? Situation. Why did no 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 I didn't put you there. You asked to be there. God didn't put you in a failed marriage. You asked to be in that. God didn't ask you to be on a job that you don't love. He, you asked to be there. You begged him for that. And sometimes in order for us to have progress, he gotta allow you to regress. He gotta allow you to go through the heartache, through the pain for you to realize, listen, you don't know what's best for yourself. I am the boss. I am the owner. I am in control. My daddy used to say it simple like this. It's my way or the highway. And if that didn't work, he would always come back with the, I pay the cost to be the boss. Y'all had the same dad I had. Y'all I, I, I know mine. It, it was just that simple in his house. He was not going to argue. He was not going to debate with me. He was like, if you don't like it, leave. He says, I'm the owner. I work for this. And I think if many of us had fathers like my father, when we looked at God, we would reverence him a little bit better because we would understand that he's paid the cost just to be the boss. He's made the sacrifice so that I can have life. You don't understand the initial sacrifice that God made? It was his breath that blew into the lungs of man to give man the existence of who they are. And if that wasn't enough, it was his grace that allowed man to have another chance even when they failed. And if that wasn't enough, it was his son that died on the cross so that we could all have eternal life. This is what God gave to us. Why? Because he loves us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. God has proven himself over and over again. Why do we still expect him to prove himself? When are we going to start proving ourselves? One of the greatest things that ever happened to me was when my dad told me, I'm proud of you, son. He said, I'm proud of your, your sister. She's a captain in the Army, finna be major. We're going to go down there and watch her become major. And we're celebrating her. But then he says, man, you own businesses. You're passing the church. He, and he looks at himself sometimes and he just says, I did all right, didn't I? Because he, he's proud of himself. Because he, he, he knows that everything that he did was not so that he can get something back from us, but so that we can have better. 
The ultimate goal for God that God has for us is that he has always wanted us to have better. People think when he put them in a garden, he tempted them with a tree. He says, listen, I don't want y'all to know the difference between good and bad. It exists, but I don't want you to know it. We were the ones, we are the ones that put ourselves in situations that we don't belong in. We're the ones that make us go through that go through the hardship that we don't belong in. Simply because we can't wrap our heads around that God is the owner of us. Free will is a dangerous thing. The ability to choose what you want to do and what you don't want to do. You want to know how I know free will is a dangerous thing? Because many of us on our jobs don't have free will. Uh, we have a free will to stay a go. But we want that paycheck, so that paycheck voids our free will. And so as a result of it, when our bosses tell us what to do, we do it. We might not like it, but we do it. Why can't we have that same relationship with God? I might not understand it, but I'm going to do it. I might not like it, but I'm going to do it. Why? Because you are the owner. You are in control. This is yours. This is not mine. Second principle that God teaches us, not only when he shows me that as a provider, he has ownership of me. I want to make sure that you understand this. David writes and says that the shepherd, not only does he have ownership, but the Bible shows us that he is observant of me. David goes on to say in that same book of Psalms, Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But catch this. He says, I shall not want. I want to make sure that you understand what David is saying. He He's not speaking in past tense and saying, I've never wanted. David speaks futuristic. This is eternal. This is everlasting. This is steady out in the open. He says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. It means that I don't have anything to worry about because he has me covered. Growing up as a kid, I pray my son has the same uh, 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 rest and peace that I had. Let me tell you something. I never, ever ever, and I'm sorry if you had to, I never had to wonder if my lights were coming on in my house. When I flipped that switch, they came on. If they didn't come on, I knew it was because of the storm outside. My daddy wanted us to sit down somewhere. I never had to worry about opening the refrigerator and there's something to eat and there was always something in there. It might not have been everything I wanted, but it was something in the refrigerator. If I ever had a hardship in my life as a child, I'm telling my dad on Father's Day before all of y'all right now, he hid it very well. I don't remember him ever being fired. He's been on the same job 38 years, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is all of my life. I don't remember us ever struggling, 36, 37, whatever it is. What, what's that, Daddy? Tell me. 41 years, oh, before my life. 41 years, we, people don't even stay on job four months now. 41 years, the same company. I mean, I never had to worry about if I was going to have school clothes, Christmas gifts. I never had to worry about that. And I believe the reason I never had to worry about that, because as my father having ownership of me, he took the initiative to always be observant of me. In other words, I never had to want for anything because he knew what I needed before I even had to ask. He knew what I needed before I even had to ask. 
The reason why David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I want you to catch this, it's twofold. Not only does God know what I need before I even ask, but David says, I'm not going to worry about getting anything other than what God thinks I need. Uh, I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying here. Some of us are so blinded. The reason why we're not progressing and we're doing a whole bunch of regressing, the reason why we're not increasing but we're doing a whole bunch of decreasing is because we're chasing things that God doesn't even think we need. Can I help you understand that the needs that God knows that you have, that he wants to provide for you, satisfies you in every way possible? The reason why you're seeking something other than what God desires for you to need is because of the simple fact that you're trying to fill a void without having God. Oh, I know that hurts. I want to make sure that you understand something. Please help me. I want to make sure that you understand. Some of you have chased men and women after men and women, and you steady end up by yourself. Well, can it possibly be that you're seeking something or someone that God doesn't even pose to think you're supposed to have? Some of us have been so busy jumping from one job to the next job, and as a result of it, we can't find stability to build a future. Why? Because sometimes we're seeking things that we want and not what God wants to have. The Bible says it simply like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and what? All his righteousness shall be added to you. The reason why many of us cannot be productive in the life that we're living on this earth now because we are not seeking. We are not kingdom-minded people. We are not kingdom-minded people. If, if the world was full of kingdom-minded people, the church would look totally different today. Marriages would look totally different today. Television would look totally different today if we were kingdom-minded people. But let me tell you this. I can't control the world. But when believers are not kingdom-minded, there's a problem. When believers seek to put the desires of themselves before the need of God, before the desire of God, it puts us in a very bad place. I want you to think about everybody in the Bible who ever went through anything just naming a few, uh, Noah. Noah had a flood that was going to come and just destroy the earth. We know Noah. We've heard the story. God gave Noah exactly what he needed. He said, Noah, I need you to build an ark. Use gopher wood. Don't use hardwood. Use gopher wood. The buoyancy of gopher wood is much better than hardwood. And I want you to build it this wide. I want you to have the doorway this tall. I want you to have this many levels. God gave him the specific instructions that he needed to build the ark. And as a result of it, we know the story. Noah, he survived. Thinking about water, I can't help but to think of Jonah. Uh, and how his disobedience led him to go astray. But even though he was disobedient and not wanting to share the gospel with the people of Nineveh and to see them redeemed, what I end up finding out, what I end up seeing here in this text is that God is still yet, because he has ownership of Jonah, he's still observing of Jonah. Some of us think, oh, it was jacked up for God to put him in the belly of that great fish. No, 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 no. God was preserving him from the problems that he created. And in the midst of it, God gave him exactly what he needed. And catch this, the belly of the whale took him to the place that God had for him to be. I think about Abram, Abraham, one of my favorite individuals in the Bible, uh, he was promised that he was going to have a child, but 
but his desire to want to do things his way, make the kid come about his way. He slept with Hagar when he wasn't supposed to. He had all type of problems in his life, but yet still God was observing from him, of him, and when he finally got his head on right, God blessed him with exactly what he needed. I think about Abraham later on when God says, listen, sacrifice your son Isaac. He takes him to the altar. He's about to slay him right there, but y'all know the story. That was a ram in the bush. Isn't it amazing how God provides for you just what you need? But can I tell you something? There can never be a need if there's never a problem. Many of us will never allow God to provide for us the need because we always run from the problem. The problem is what produces the necessity. The problem is what gives birth to the need. And the reality is that many of us are struggling. The reason why you ain't found your soulmate because you can't even just be by yourself. You can't complete you. How are you going to help complete somebody else? I'm just trying to make sure that we understand. We run from the problem. And so God can never fulfill the need. God says, I'm the owner of you. And because I'm the owner of you, I'm observant of you. And my observant behavior, me watching you, me knowing what you need, it leads me from where he says, listen, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want what slays me is verse two. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. And the reason why this this blesses my soul because what he teaches me in this text is not only is God the owner, not only is he observing, but it shows me that because my father is a provider, he's obligated to me. He's obligated to look after me. My dad, I don't know, he might have just been one of them super dads that loved his kids and he did it because he loved them. But I'm going to tell you right now, I love my kids, but I don't like them. I'm just going to be honest. It, it hurts my feelings. Uh, we just bought a new house, and my wife has tried to train me up to make sure the house is clean. She said, use your first house to make sure that you train the kids right. So we sold that house. We moved into an apartment, and we knew we was going to buy a house. She was like, Okay, treat this apartment like it's a house. Well, we like, I don't like this apartment. I don't like this place. So we threw clothes all around the place. And so we get this beautiful house. The Lord blessed, built from the ground up. And we were able to go in there and write scriptures on the wall before they even put the sheetrock up. It was, it was amazing. And we, we walk into this house, and it's just amazing, the smell. It's like a new car. You just want to keep it fresh. Don't eat in my car. Make sure when you get in the seats, don't wiggle. Just sit in my car. Uh, it's just that's what this house is and so it's like take your shoes off at the door walk in with your socks on that, that's what it is and so my wife she hogs the garage and well not really I got junk all on my side she, she parks in the garage so I have to park on the street and so I, I use the code to go through the front door I'm, I'm probably the only one that walks through the front door in our house and the worst thing for anybody that pays a lot of money for a brand new place is to walk in and see junk everywhere and my kids' rooms are the very front rooms of the house. And, and so it irritates me that I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I say, at least close your door. Don't let, the, after a hard day work, don't let that be the first thing my eyes see. 
because what you're showing me is that you don't appreciate the, the hard work that I do to have to pay for this thing. And, and, but yet and still, I'm obligated to feed them. No matter how many Legos I step on, no matter how much food they leave on the table and can't wipe up the mess after themselves, as their father, as having ownership of them, of being observant of their needs, I'm obligated to feed them. I'm obligated to make sure they have everything that they need. But guess what? I get to tell them sometimes no to what they want. My obligation is to accommodate their needs, not their wants. So Isaiah, he eats his chicken nuggets and, and his cheese sticks, and then he comes back three minutes later and says, Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have some? No, because you're really not hungry. You just want to eat up everything I pay for. I know you don't need it, so I'm not going to give into what you want. David writes into the text, and he shows us that God ownership and his ability to be observant flows and shows through his obligation to him. I want you to see, I want you to listen to this and see some of us have never been a shepherd before so we don't really understand. I'm going to close on this, what David is saying. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I want to just dissect this. He, he makes me. He makes me. I, I want to make sure that you understand that this is not a forceful. He makes me. This is in the Hebrew. This this means he makes an opportunity for me to lie down in green pastures. I want to make sure that you. He makes it available for me to lie down in green pastures. What what does that mean? that just because he makes it available don't mean that you're going to do it. He makes it available for you to have a good life. He makes it available for you to be stress-free. He makes it available for you to be financially stable. He makes all of these things available to you, but sometimes we just don't take advantage of it. God's obligation to his creation is what requires him to make it available. Because I had the kids, the kids didn't ask to be here, I have to do what I have to do. I might not always want to do it. Right now, I would love to give them to their grandparents and me and my wife run off to Paris. I would love it right now. But the reality is because I made the kids, I have to provide for the kids. Did nobody else do that? It's my responsibility mm -hmm. to provide for them. It's my responsibility to educate them, to teach them, to sow into them. They are my responsibility. Mm -hmm. I own them. I am obligated to them. It is my responsibility. When God sees man, and I believe this is why God didn't give up on, on man from the get-go, because he created him. He gave his breath into man. Ownership. And he says, listen, I'm obligated. I'm obligated to make a way for you. I'm obligated to make a way until you can't make a way, until I can't make a way any further. He says, he makes a way for me to lie down in green pastures. In other words, because 
the Lord is my shepherd, he sees himself. David is saying, I see myself as a sheep. And he's going to give me a place where I'm going to receive all the nutrition that I could possibly ever need. He puts me, he lays me into green pastures. But then he says this, he says, not only does he lay me into green pastures, but he says, he leads me beside quiet waters. I don't know if you understand the value of quiet waters. If you've never been on a lake or if you've never been uh, flowing down river and seen the rapids, you don't understand how important it is for you to have quiet waters. When a sheep is thirsty, they need a place where they can receive nourishment from the water, but it has to be a smooth flow. Why? Because sheep don't have the best hearing. And so if the waters were running raggedy, if the, the waters were slamming against the rock, then when prey, when, 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 when their enemy tries to prey upon them, they wouldn't hear them approaching. And so God says, not only am I going to make sure that you receive the nourishment that you need, but in the process of re you receiving the nourishment, I'm going to put you in a place where you don't have to look over your back. I'm going to put you in a place where you can receive the best that I could possibly ever have for you. And you're not going to have to worry about anything. I was blessed to have a father that even though he did not have a father, to be an example of what it means to be a good father. Somewhere, God gave him the desire to be the best father he could possibly ever be. And so when I hear David talk about how God is this awesome shepherd, I can relate to God being an amazing father. Because I know what it is for someone, y'all don't know nothing about this old folks, to have to come home, young folks, and have to soak your feet in Epsom salt. Fall asleep in your favorite chair. Only to have to get up and do it all over again. I'm blessed to have a position where I can, I can talk about the greatness of who my dad is and all the things that he's done. There is nothing I can do to ever repay him for all that he's done. And so to have a man that has been that to me in my life to help me see how great God is, because if my dad is here, man, God has to be way out there somewhere. Because the reality is that my God, my, my God seen that my dad needed to see who he was just so that I could become who I am. And knowing that God is that good and how God, how intentional God is, it makes me think of what is God doing through me that's for my son that's going to pass on to him. So I want to be the best example of what it means to be a father. It doesn't mean that you're always going to be happy with every decision I make, but I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. It doesn't mean that you won't want to run away, but I will always be looking for you because my ownership in you <laughs> makes me observant of who you are and what you're going through 
and I'm obligated to do everything I can do to make sure you have the best life possible. I want you to stand as we close on this note, understanding this today. God owns each and every last one of us.